Thank you for listening to Ask the Pastor. This is a segment of the West Hills podcast where you have the opportunity to ask and receive biblical answers on your questions from our lead pastor, Will Duvall. Today's podcast is part two, recorded from a relationship workshop led by Pastor Will and Pastor Thad, answering the question, what does it look like to date as a Christian? Uh, continuing, what should we be looking for? Uh, 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7, love is patient and kind. Love does, love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and adores all things. We need to ask ourselves about the person that we're dating. Does this person selflessly pursue my best interests? Are they looking out for what's most important for me? Now, we need to be careful because so often relationships these days boil down to two people using each other for their own selfish gain or fleeting happiness. Like, hey, this person can give me what I want, so I'm going to go date that person. But the definition of true love, as opposed to using each other, what the world says, they're going to affirm me, tell me only the good things is pursuing my best interest no matter what the cost to oneself. Like if we're in a relationship with someone and there's clearly something wrong with us, the loving thing for them to do is point it out. Like if I showed up tonight and my hair was messed up or I had something in my teeth, I hope some of you, someone, maybe someone, would say, hey Thad, you got something in your teeth or your hair's just all messed up or someone put a, a kick me sign on my back, like you'd help me out. That is I got a, your back, man. I look for opportunities to criticize you and that's just because I love you so much. I love you so much. This is what we do in the office. We criticize each other to show our love. Uh, but no, seriously, we want someone who's going to say, hey, I love you despite this whatever, whether it's sin or a mistake or a bad judgment or whatever it is, they say, hey, I love you so much that I'm not going to let you continue to, to just accept it. But hey, I want to see your improvement. I want to see you better follow Jesus as a result. And that's hard. Like that's something very hard to do to go to someone and say, hey, listen, I care about you, but there's something about you that needs to change. And if we're going to someone, we need to go with, with a humble attitude, realizing like, hey, I'm just as much a sinner as that person, but I'm trying to care for them, just how Jesus tells us to care for them. So we're looking for someone who's going to pursue our best interest, but we also are pursuing their best interest. It's mm-hmm. good. All right, I, I jumped ahead, so you got to take Song of Solomon. How did you get Song of Solomon? Because I'm not afraid of the, the tough texts. I'm not either. I, that's not tough. That's so, Song of Solomon, uh, in case any of you don't know, Song of Solomon is a book about a romantic relationship. There's a lot of sex talk in this book. Uh, Song of Solomon, chapter 3, verse 5. I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem, by the gazelles or the does of the field, that you do not stir up or awaken love until it pleases. Um, SOS, like heavy on physical expression of intimacy and warnings here not to awaken love. Uh, And it's like if you have a tube of toothpaste, you can squeeze it all out, but you can't put it back in. If you're awakening these desires, these sexual desires is what it's talking about. It's like 
It's going to be very difficult to not engage in these sexual desires once you've started. He's saying, hey, be careful. I'm warning you. You're going to let the cat out of the bag and you're going to have some regrets because of it. So save it. Now, don't use this as justification to keep on sinning. Like, odds are someone in this room, statistically, it's proven that someone in this room is probably engaged in extracurricular sexual activities outside the bounds of marriage. Isn't used as justification like, oh, you know, I've already done it, so I, I just get to keep on doing it. That's not at all what he, he is talking about here. So Hebrews 13.4, I think, makes this even probably clearer. Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexual, sexually immoral and the adulterous. Um, the, the word for sexually immoral here is porneia. Uh, porneia in Greek refers to any sexual out-of-boundness. Um, so again, if the boundary in, in, in the Bible is marriage, if, if that really, again, is so much of 1 Corinthians 7, Genesis 2, I mean, Ephesians 5, so much of just the texts that surround this idea of marriage in the Bible really are about sex. I mean, that is the distinguishing factor between people that are married and people that aren't, is sex is for marriage. Um, then it kind of, again, boils down to that question of, are we going to trust uh, God's boundaries, God's rules, and, and God's heart that God is loving and good and that he wants the best for us? And again, no good thing does he withhold from us if he's withholding it for right now. Um, it's, it's for our good. And uh, yeah. First uh, Thessalonians 4, 3 through 5. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passions of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. God God's will for you, for all of you, if you're a believer, is your sanctification, meaning you're becoming more like Jesus. Your sanctification, your goal here on earth, is Christ-likeness. It's dependent on your desire to fight against the lusts of the flesh. You cannot be growing more like Jesus if you are having sex outside the bounds of marriage. You can't do it. You're directly disobeying what God commands. And I, I, should, I should have said this earlier, but even if we have um, fallen, whether it would be sexually or in another way, uh, I think the good news is that God gives the grace and, and forgiveness. And as we talked about, he, he can redeem our own brokenness. Like I could sit up here and spend hours telling story after story about how I've fallen and failed and God used that in order to grow me more like Jesus doesn't mean it was fun, but we remember that although we are fallen, God redeems us. He can use our brokenness and our own failures to help us grow so we don't continue to make the same mistakes. 2 Timothy 2.22, so flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Uh, I, I, I warned you, you see a recurring theme here of just time and time again. Um, you know, this, this warning against 
youthful passion, lustful passion, sexual immorality, all of that. Um, that's a struggle, I man. That, that, that really is. Uh, we'll go back to 1 Corinthians 7 here in a minute, but um, that's really that struggle of that interim space is you're, try, you're trying to, to prepare for, for something that you don't have yet and you, you shouldn't, and, uh, and, and yet you're trying not to awaken love out of season. So the best, but I, I love in 2 Timothy 2 where he puts together, so flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness faith. The best defense is a strong offense. What's true in soccer, Ewan, is true in, in, in fighting temptation and dating as well. It's the best defense. It's a good offense. Um, if, if they can keep the ball on the other side's side, or whatever you call it, pitch, and written pitch, um, if they can keep it over there, you don't, I mean, you just get to stand there and look pretty, and you don't have to do anything on defense, right? So the best defense is a strong offense. Um, if I'm chasing after Jesus with all my heart, you know, there's just less time and, and, and mental and emotional and spiritual energy to give toward entertaining, you know, temptations and that sort of thing. Dating should still be iron sharpening iron. Proverbs 27, 17. Uh, we're, we're, we're making one another better and more Christ-like together. First uh, Corinthians 7, 36 through 38 that we talked about uh, at the very beginning, just the further emphasis that stay single, uh, as long as you can. Uh, if you can withstand the passions, singleness is still better than any relationship. But to a certain extent, the Bible answers the age-old question, you know, how do you know when you're ready to get married? It's when you can no longer withstand the passions while also being mature enough to enter into a lifelong to-become-one-flesh covenant. Like, if you're not ready for that to become one flesh covenant and bring on all the anxieties and cares and troubles that marriage will bring, like, you're not ready to be married unless you're going to move out of your parents' house and love this person with all your heart and be vulnerable and open to them. Like, if you're not ready for that, you're clearly not ready for marriage. Marriage isn't just this, like, ticket, okay, now I can have sex. It's so much more than that. All right, so we will wrap up this section of the session with some practical, again, takeaway, big picture ideas that we've already hit on. And so we'll go quickly through these to uh, catch up on time. Dating is for the purpose of marriage. It's the big picture uh, that we, we already hit on. Dating in and of itself is not the end goal, fun, you know, having a good time, memories, all that sort of thing. That should come with it, right? I mean, if, if it's the right person, if it's, if it's you know, helping you get closer uh, towards fine-tuning and refining and your, your understanding of who God has for you, then it should be fun. It should be progressively more fun. And the person you end up with should be the most fun, right? Um, but in and of itself, dating is not the end goal. It's, it's for the purpose of marriage. When you're in that dating sphere, you, you ask the real questions. You, you see each other not as superficial, what can I get from this person, but you should be dating, if you're a Christian, a, a Christian, you should be dating another Christian, but seeking to further their relationship with Jesus. Uh, you should do what you can to make dating something that you savor. Ask hard questions. Ask them real questions. That's one thing that I loved about the first date I had with Nikki. She asked me, like, really hard questions, like, hey, 
what are you going to do with your life? As a freshman in college, I had no idea what I was going to do with my life, but I spent a lot of time thinking about it. Uh, we should also, in that dating relationship and asking the real questions, pursue clarity over intimacy. Cheap intimacy feels real for a moment, but you get exactly what you pay for it. Like if all you're looking for is to have a romantic relationship with someone and that's it, like that's what you're going to get and it's going to leave you feeling inadequate, missing something else. Pursue clarity, meaning you're pursuing like real questions, real life, where are we going, before giving someone something that you can't take back once it's gone. All right, so skip ahead one. We got a little out of, uh, out of order here in the workbook. But seek godly counsel or advice. Uh, Proverbs eleven fourteen says, In an abundance of counselors there is wisdom. Um, most of us in our pride think we've you know, got it figured out. Don't you need help? You don't. We do need help. Um, we all need that. Uh, this is a quote from, from Siegel, the book we referenced earlier. We all need a third wheel in life and in dating. People who truly know us and love us and who want what's best for us, even if it's not what we want at that exact moment. So, you know, if, you're, if none of your friends like her, listen to them. They're probably on to something, right? Uh, as we talked about er earlier, not missionary dating, like going to date someone in order to make them become a Christian, but be missional in your dating. Date in a way that promotes Jesus so that people who are unsaved look at you. They say, hey, that person, that boyfriend, girlfriend, they have something in their relationship that's not like mine. We're not dating around, but date in a way that shows to an onlooking world that you love Jesus and that he's the foundation of your relationship. All right, uh, guys, don't act like husbands, but act like men. So uh, we're going to get to this in the last section on marriage. Husbands are called to lead and serve their wives. So likewise, boyfriends, not in an identical way, but boyfriends uh, should be in a sense, again, preparation, leading and serving their girlfriends in dating to be the selfless initiator, protector, um, to be the pursuer. We talked about that. I mean, that was actually probably maybe one of the biggest kind of differences in our tale of two approaches to dating in particular. You talk about pursuing um, Nikki. A lot of what went wrong in our relationship was poly was pursued, pursued me, and I liked that. I was insecure, and so I needed somebody who would, you know, like, no matter how much of a jerk I was, would just, you know, keep pursuing after me, and, but that's not the way that God has designed us, and we'll, again, get to this in the last section more in particular with Ephesians 5, but we believe as a church biblical worldview that God has wired us differently, men and women, and that we, men, are, are wired to, to lead, to pursue, um, and that women want that. Like we reject the notion that, um, you know, who, who doesn't, I mean, 
I still want to be pursued, even as a guy. Like, so I reject the notion that, that, that there's a girl out there that doesn't want to be chased after, fought for. Um, but I, think, I just think it's biblically in the way that God has, um, has wired us. Boyfriends are not husbands. We shouldn't act like husbands, but we should act like men. We're called to lead, initiate, pursue. Ladies, if you're dating someone who's not leading you now, don't expect them to lead in the future. He's not pursuing you now. He's not fighting for you now, protecting you now. He's not selfless now. He doesn't care more about your body and your purity than he does about his fleeting pleasures. Don't expect them to care more about it when you get married. Um, so. Yeah, and as, as I mentioned before, you know, there, there are times when, when we do fail, um, but we remember that God loves us unconditionally, even in, in our sinfulness. It's not justification to keep on sinning because God's just going to forgive us anyways. But we remember that the grace and forgiveness amidst our failures should draw us closer to God. So if we do fail, if you, whether it's in the past or in the future, we remember that, that grace and forgiveness that God offers. And we should go before him and say, Father, I have sinned and confessed. And the Bible says that he will, he will forgive us. He longs to forgive us when we have stumbled and fallen. Hey, we caught up on time. We're right back on time. So um, in our application, we're going to give you a couple more minutes again to reflect and then more time again to, to share and discuss, kick around ideas about dating, practical how-to tips maybe. Um, but here, here's just some questions to at least start to, to maybe prompt you for further reflection. If you're currently in a dating relationship, to what extent do these biblical ideals describe that relationship? or your past experience of dating, uh, past previous boyfriends, girlfriends? Do you approach dating intentionally for the purpose of marriage, spiritually, as a means of growing your relationship with the Lord, selflessly seeking his or her good, not just your own pleasure, humbly accepting godly advice from others, and missionally witnessing to outsiders by the godliness of the relationship? That's a really high calling, all right? We all fall short of, of all those adjectives, but yeah, that's what we ought to be pursuing. And then uh, flip side of that is if, if you're not in a dating relationship, um, either because you're, you're single or you're married already, do these uh, principles describe your past dating experience? What could you be doing now to better prepare yourself if you're single uh, to do dating God's way if and when he opens that door again? Well, that's it for this episode of Ask the Pastor. Remember that you can always ask your questions each week at the info bar at West Hills or by submitting them online through our website at www.westhillsstl.org. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast if you haven't already. And thanks for listening.